Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is A Tricky Question. I call it A Tricky Question, Mark chapter 10, 1 through 12. And speaking of tricky questions, uh, someone sent me some tricky questions this week. That I'm going to, on email, and I'm going to read a couple to you here. I'll just read a few of them here. Uh, I went to a bookstore and asked the saleswoman, where's the self-help section? She said if she told me, it would defeat the purpose. Here's another one. What do you do when you see an endangered animal eating an, an endangered plant? Why do they lock gas station toilets? Are they afraid someone will break in and clean them? <laughs> if a turtle, these are tricky questions. If a turtle doesn't have a shell, is he homeless or naked? Can vegetarians eat animal crackers? If the police arrest a mute, do they tell him he has the right to remain silent? How do they get the deer to cross the road only at those yellow road signs? What was the best thing before sliced bread? One nice thing about egotists, they don't talk about other people. If one synchronized swimmer drowns, do the rest drown too? If you try to fail and succeed, which have you done? Why are hemorrhoids called... Oh, I'm not going to go into that one. All right. Uh. Why is it called tourist season if we can't shoot at them? <laughs> For the hunters here. Uh, why is there an expiration date on sour cream? Can an atheist get insurance against acts of God? And finally, why do shops have signs, guide dogs only? Dogs can't read and their owners are blind. Some tough questions, tricky questions here. Now, it's Mother's Day, and mothers get asked lots of tricky questions all the time, right? Constantly getting asked tricky questions every day. We're going to see the Pharisees ask Jesus a trick question, a question that affects moms, many, many moms. In fact, half of all moms are affected by the question that's asked today, and all of us have been impacted by this question in our lives, every one of us. Let me pray first. Father, we thank you for the worship, and now we thank you for your word. And Lord, your word is hard to accept sometimes or to obey because it's hard. It goes against what we want to do. I pray that each of us would obey your word, no matter what it means in our life, especially with this tricky question that Jesus is going to deal with. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 12, first of all. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea across from the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. 
It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. I'm going to read uh, Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, 1 through 9 is a parallel passage. If you want to keep your finger in both of these passages, that would be good because we're going to bounce back and forth. But it's a parallel passage that brings out even more of this and some different perspectives. Matthew 19, verse 1 says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Woo, we're going to have some fun with this one. So first of all, we see the trick question in verses 1 and 2. Um, well, let's read verse 2. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So this is a trick question they're asking. Is it lawful for men to divorce his wife? They're really saying, is, it, is divorce okay? Now, they want to get rid of Jesus, so they're trying to trip him up. And we see that he just entered the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas. This is the area that they went in. Remember the Tetrarchs? And they entered Herod's jurisdiction. What did Herod do already? He beheaded John the Baptist, all right? He beheaded John for his views on divorce. John had confronted Herod on his unlawful divorce and unlawful remarriage. And they're probably hoping to kill two birds with one stone to get rid of both of these guys, to get ex Jesus executed too for being politically incorrect, for being intolerant. And if that doesn't work, so they're hoping they'll trip him up with, with Herod just like John the Baptist got tripped up. But if that doesn't work, then plan B, maybe they'll get Jesus to contradict the law. So he said about Moses, you know, they're hoping to get him to contradict the law, starting with his divorce here, discredit him or even get him stoned if he says the wrong thing. They're totally baiting him. In fact, in Matthew 19, 3, look at the difference in verse 3 here. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? We'll come back to that in a, a few minutes. But God's word doesn't say that, does it, anywhere? It doesn't say that, as Jesus well knows. In fact, to see what the word really says, when he's going to go back to Moses in a minute, let's look at what Moses said in Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 4, the law of Moses, which is God's word, God gave it to Moses. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, 
because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable, detestable in the eyes of the Lord. And then goes on to talk some more about the divorce and the, and the rules. Now, there are two schools of thought that develop from this Deuteronomy passage on divorce. And part of the reason they're asking Jesus is they're trying to trip him up, they're testing him, but also I bet there was some uh, curiosity on the Pharisees' part on which side Jesus would fall on, because there's two different schools which we're going to see. You even saw it with, with what we just read, verse 2 in Mark chapter 10 in Matthew 19, 3. The two schools emerge here. The first school was a Shammai school, and they focused on the word in Deuteronomy on indecent. That indecent, if someone found something indecent about the wife, that there was some sexual misconduct, that they weren't a virgin or they were unfaithful in some way to her husband, then they could divorce their wife. That's the only grounds for divorce was finding something sexually indecent about them. Very, very strict. The Hillel school, which was a different school of thought, different seminary, so to speak, they had a different word. They focused on the word displeasing. And it was a very liberal divorce group. They focused on the word displeasing. If you found something displeasing about your wife, then you could divorce her. You could divorce her for any and every reason. Remember what we saw in Matthew 19.3. That was one of the emphasis that Matthew was bringing out. The other one was bringing out the Hillel. Okay? For any and every reason. So they even taught if, if your wife burned her food, the food that you were going to eat, you could divorce your wife for that any reason you could just dump your wife and so those are the two schools that are kind of going at each other you're going to even see these two schools bouncing back and forth in these two passages jesus clearly comes down on the shammai position right but he takes it even deeper as we're going to see he goes right to god's word back to mark chapter 10 let's look at verses 3 and 4 he takes it right to god's word when he says what did Moses command you, he replied. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. What did Moses command? In the law, that's God's word. Moses said it was okay, it was permitted. What is that? Probably. The Shammai school, right? The Shammai position. Uh, but looking back at Matthew, Matthew 19, we'll look at verse 7 here. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? See the, do you see the play on words, a little twisting that's going on? It, not only is it permitted, in fact, he commands it. Uh, what, the Hillel position probably, and remember 19.3 when we looked at for any and every reason, we're seeing that different position coming out here. But does the Bible say that? Did God command husbands to send their wives away? doesn't say that. Once again, they're distorting God's word to fit their sinful, selfish desires. Can you believe someone would do that? That's shocking to us in the USA today, right? That would be a shocking thing. Right. Where, where Christians do this regularly, so-called Christians, and pastors affirm this, and churches... Uh, 
celebrate it and even whole denominations are doing this very thing, twisting God's word to allow and to encourage sinful behavior that totally contradicts God's word, especially in the area of marriage, divorce, and sexual sin. Come next week, I'm going to connect the dots. Next week's title is Connecting the Dots to Our Culture. Don't miss next week. Moses never commanded people to divorce their wives anywhere. But he did, or he did allow it, right? He did allow it under certain circumstances. He didn't command it for any and every purpose, is what these guys are saying, any reason. He allowed it. Why did he allow it? Look at verse 5, what Jesus says. Why did he allow it? They're not going to like this. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. Because he, it was permitted as a concession to the sinful, hard hearts. That's why. God gave divorce regulations not for a positive reason, for, but for a negative reason. He gave divorce regulations not as an encouragement, but pr to protect the women who were getting dumped. It was a protection. You can't just love them and leave them and then take them back again. There's going to be rules. And as you look through the laws, you see there are rules that they're going to have to follow if they decide to be unfaithful. This is a civil law, not a moral law that God is giving here. This is a civil law, not a moral law. And this is a very important principle to understand when you're reading God's word. Very important because Jesus is bringing this out here. It's an important Principle, just because God's word regulates something doesn't mean he approves of it. Remember that. Just because he regulates something in the law doesn't mean he approves of it. You see polygamy regulated, but God never approves of polygamy. You're going to see here in, in what Jesus says about, about marriage. It totally goes against polygamy. All right? Same thing with slavery. God regulates slavery, but God never encourages slavery or approves of it. Christians are the ones who fought slavery. You can re Wilberforce all the way through the, the abolitionists. The Christians led that because it goes against God's word. Just because something is regulated is never an encouragement, but it's regulating a necessary evil. Something God knows people's hearts are hard, and it's going to be there. Divorce is going to be there. Polygamy is going to be there. You know, uh, all the, uh, these, you know, uh, slavery is going to be there. This, and he, God knows human's nature, hum, our human nature, our sinful human nature. So he puts these safeguards in place. But Jesus makes it clear what God's real will and purpose in marriage is. Look at what he says here, verses 6 to 9. But, here it goes, the but clause. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Divorce was permitted and regulated, but it was never God's purpose. And he goes back to creation. Whenever you go back to creation, there's nothing before that. It goes back to creation, to God's original purpose and his real will for our lives when it comes to marriage. He starts out with Genesis 1.27, the creation itself, where he says, So God created man. In his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
God created us male and female. Don't miss next week. Don't miss next week. That's all I'm going to say. Then he goes on to Genesis 2.24, where he says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He quotes Genesis 2.24. We call this the leave and cleave. Those who have the, the King James Bibles remember the leave and cleave passage, where you leave, first of all, a husband and wife, they're to leave their parents, and then that also means parents, you're to leave them alone. <laughs> and if either one of these things don't work, if we don't properly, that doesn't mean we can't still have a relationship with our parents. We can still have a close relationship, but not, nothing in that relationship can come between the husband-wife relationship. And if either of these things don't happen, if we don't leave properly, or if parents don't leave their kids alone, they come in between them in any way, there are negative consequences. So we have to leave, but also Jesus stresses the cleave, be united to his wife, remember the King James, cleave. Uh, the, the idea here is it's permanent. When a husband and wife come together, they get married, it's permanent. This is not duct taping them together. It's super glue. You can, a lot of people see marriage as duct tape. You know, and oh, you want to separate, you just pull the tape off. No, but super glue is different. You super glue someone together, hey, you pull apart and they rip skin and you know, it shreds you, right? That's the picture it, it, in the Bible. It's super glue. One flesh. Think of Siamese twins. You want to separate Siamese twins? Sometimes they can do it. They separate people, conjoined twins. They call it conjoined twins. Uh, when we were kids, it was Siamese. But when you separate conjoined twins, sometimes it kills one of them. It always hurts both of them. You have a surgery, and it's very painful. And it's great when it can happen, when they can separate them, and they can live separate. That's super. But, but there, there's a lot of pain because they're, they're one flesh. They're connected. That's a picture of the marriage relationship. We, are, we become one. And when you separate, there is going to be pain. It's going to hurt. It hurts both people. And that's why Jesus is therefore what God has joined together. Let man not separate. It's a physical union. And it can, only a physical cause can break it. The only physical cause that can break it is death. That's why in the marriage vows, till death do us part. That's the only release in scripture. Now, many people think, well, I'm divorced legally, and my, some pastor signed off on it. He said, yeah, 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 the guy's mean to you, and, you know, and it's, le it's legal, so it's okay. But you know what? Not in God's sight. doesn't matter what legally happens in, the, in this country or even in a church, you know, permission. It has nothing to do with it. In God's sight, it's not okay. Look at what Jesus says in verses 10 to 12. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. And the disciples, we see them come and ask Jesus, hey, you know, can you expound on this? Because this is, this is pretty tough. In fact, look at Matthew 19, verse 10, where he says, the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to get married. It is better not to marry. They were actually shocked. They're saying, your teaching's impossible. That divorce was totally accepted by them and by the culture. The whole culture was that way. The Roman culture, divorce was so, if you read history, unbelievable. It was so common that women, the Roman women would wear a ring on each finger, on a, a, a ring per divorce. And they would have, their hands would cover. They wore it as a, 
a, a status symbol. They would wear this as a badge of honor. Look how many rings I got. I've been married a lot. That's what the Roman women did for all the marriages and divorces. The J Jewish culture wasn't a whole lot different. Remember John chapter 4, Jesus talking to the woman at the well? Five marriages and you're living with another guy? Right? Just like the USA Today. Don't miss it. Next week we're going to connect some dots. All right? Don't miss it. Jesus continues to shock them. He says here to divorce and remarry is adultery. Adultery is very, very, very serious against God. Everywhere in the scripture. And it's interesting that he includes women in this equation. Because women weren't allowed to divorce. They weren't given any power. Jesus elevates them here. He elevates them. He considers them equal in this process, but also in the responsibility. They can be responsible before God, just like a man, for this divorce. But there is an exception, and this is very important to talk about. In Matthew 19.9, there is an exception. He says, I tell you that anyone, Matthew 19.9, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery, except for... The exception clause is marital unfaithfulness. Jesus says you can only divorce someone because of adultery. That's the only reason you could divorce someone. Notice that he doesn't command. It's not commanded. The ideal is what? That the person who commits adultery repents and that there's forgiveness granted. That's the, the ideal, that the, the one asks for forgiveness, the other person forgives them, they reform their, their marriage bond. That's the ideal. That's what we, we hope would happen. There's one other exception. In 1 Corinthians 7.15, desertion. Desertion by an unbelieving spouse. But even that usually ends up when the person deserts. They usually end up committing adultery, breaking the marriage bond. So you start, you're at the same point anyway, right? Now, it's important to notice a couple of things here. One is that there is no emotional abuse exception. <laughs> There's no other exceptions. You know, so many people come to me. And, and listen, I know it's hard to be in a tough tough marriage. It, it's not, it's, I'm not downplaying that, but so many people, oh, I should be able to get a divorce because my husband's mean, or my wife, she's not meeting my needs, or you, you get that, those kind of things, and that's why, and another pastor told me it's okay. There's no other exception. Nothing. For all other reasons, I tell people the principle of separation. There's no grounds for, for, for uh, exceptions for divorce, but you can biblically separate. And when you separate from someone, that's a, uh, you, you get yourself into a safe place, you create some space, and the idea is that you, you, the person that you've separated from then can start to see what they've done wrong. And they can start to get the counseling and they can start to work through it. And the idea is you wait for God to work in their heart. Not, you're no longer there getting beat up and abused and, you know, and, and going through the pain of whatever's causing pain in that relationship. But they're, they're having to face their issues and you can get your healing. And the result of that separation, there's one of two results are going to happen. We see it all the time. During this time of separation, either the person will come to repentance because we'll be talking to them Christian counselors, you know, Christian brothers and sisters, there's going to be a lot going on. Either they're going to come to their senses and repent of the way they're treating their spouse, or they're going to say, forget this, and they're going to go off with someone else. And if they do that, then the marriage bond is broken, and then you are now free. But, but there's no exception of, oh, well, I just can divorce this person. No, you can separate and wait 
and see what happens. That's what you can do. Also, I want to say this about marriage and remarriage. If the divorce is okay, probably the principle is that the, the remarriage is okay too. And vice versa. If the divorce wasn't okay, then the remarriage is not okay. So if you, with this exception clause, if, if your spouse is perpetually committing adultery, won't stop, won't repent, uh, and they won't come to their senses, and you divorce, then you, you would have the, the right to remarry. If the unfaithful spouse breaks the marriage covenant, the innocent spouse should be free to re remarry. But it's not commanded, all right? It's not commanded. Forgiveness and restoration is the goal. That's the hope. That's the ultimate hope that we all have, right, in a marriage. That they're, they're oh, they cheated on me, I'm out of here. No, biblically, the forget, repentance and forgiveness is the real goal. And also, even if you do have the right to remarry, it's not always the good idea. Two-thirds of remarriages end in divorce. Half of all marriages, but two-thirds of remarriages end in divorce. Divorce is rarely 100% one partner's fault. Even adultery is rarely 100%. Usually the innocent party contributes in some way. Right? We, it's marriage is a lot of give and take. And even an innocent party to the, to the adultery contributes a certain percentage to that. And we, you must, we must recognize that and deal with this or we'll carry, our, we'll carry those same problems into the next marriage and we'll end up with another divorce and the next one another. It'll just keep, it'll be a pattern. And the guilty party can never remarry. Can never remarry. They must repent and try to be restored to their spouse. Now, I've dumped a lot on you. And I know so many of us have been affected by divorce. I know, I know a lot of you have been through it. What can we do? I always say, start now. Start now. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what mistakes you've made, start now. Mercy and grace starts now. Turn to God for his mercy and grace and start over. No matter what you've been through, start right where you are today. And if you became a Christian after all this, start at that point. And I always stress this, that, that the, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you say, God, I believe Jesus died for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. And, and I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. Once you take that step of faith and become a Christian, that, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You become a new creation. And, and, you know, it's really hard to go back and deal with so much baggage with marriage and divorce and all that. I usually stress to people, once you become a Christian, start now. Start at this point. This is it. No matter what happened in the past, stay in the marriage you're in now. Stay in that. And if you are married, stay married. It, 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 uh, well, well, let me back up real quick. Stay in the marriage yard. Uh, before I hit that part, I want to say this. Make it right, too. Sometimes you need to make something right. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're divorced or separated and you can go back to your spouse. Go back to them if at all possible. If they're not remarried, go back to them. If not, if it's not possible, then it's very important that you go to them and ask for forgiveness. It will mean a lot. 
it will mean a lot to that person. Even if it's too late to restore the marriage, it's important that, that you go back and say, I ask for your forgiveness for divorcing you. Even if they don't receive it, and not, they don't always receive that well, it's important for you. It's important for you to ask for forgiveness, for you spiritually to ask that. Very important. Maybe you and your current spouse messed up. You got, you know, I know a lot, of, a lot of us have our stories. Maybe the two of you got together for the wrong reasons in the wrong way. Ask God for forgiveness as a couple. Before God, ask God to forgive and to help you start over fresh here. If you're married, stay married. It takes faith and faithfulness. Stay married. Mother's Day. Mother's Day is a day to honor our mothers, but, but as husbands, to honor our, our wives. The most important thing you can do for your children, I heard someone say this once and I never forgot it, the most important thing you can do for your children is to love their mom. Is to love their mom. Whether you, whether you caused a divorce or whether you were wronged by someone, and, and, I know, and I know a lot of your stories that, you know, there's nothing you could do. The person was unfaithful, and, and you tried to save it. There's nothing you can do. Wherever we are now, start now. Start with today. Start with living the biblical way today. You can't go back and fix a lot of things. We can't go back and beat ourselves up about things in the past. Focus on God's mercy and grace. But take these words serious because start now. Start where we're at and start now and do, do be faithful to God's word and faithful to our spouse. And there's something that for everyone, whether you're not even married or too young to get married, there's something for all of us that we can learn from the Pharisees' question. And this is really what I want us to take from this. What was their question really? What are they always asking Jesus? Can, are we permitted to get divorced or can we do this or can we do that? What? What they're always really asking about, what can I get away with and still be okay with God? We've seen that all throughout the book of Mark. What can I do and still be okay? Because they're religious. They don't understand it's a relationship. They're trying to follow the religion part, not the relationship part. What can I get away with? And see, that question exposes the wrong attitude, a bad attitude, a total misunderstanding about our relationship with God, doesn't it? What are we thinking? You know, don't we do the same? It shows that we have the wrong perspective. When I was a youth pastor, and I told you this before, the guys would come to me and say, can we talk about girls and stuff? And yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'd say, uh, how, far can I, how far can we go? And they would ask me that question. What's okay? And they'd start, you know, first base, second base. They'd start going to the base and start talking about it. And, and they start to say, what's okay? Would God be okay with me doing this or that or this and that? And, and I always said to the guys, guys, you're asking the wrong question. It's not how far can we go. It's what will glorify God. That's the question. What will make God happy? What will please him? That, that's the question. It, all of us do the same thing, don't we? How far can we push the envelope on what we watch on TV or, or look on the computer or do or think about or say, what can I get away with and still be okay with God? That's not the question. The, que the key question is what will please God? What will bring him glory? What will help me stay close to God? 
is stay in a close love relationship with, with my Heavenly Father? What will help him accomplish his purpose in my life? That's the question. Whether it's divorce or anything else, that's the question we have to ask. That's the question we have to focus on. It's the relationship. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? Maybe it's that key question. Maybe we have to learn to rephrase our whole way of asking or thinking. It's not what can we do as far as getting away with something, but what can we do that would glorify God and please him and help accomplish his purpose and, and help me stay close to God my Father? What is an area of our life that we need to pray about and shift gears and, and change the, our whole way of thinking. Maybe there's an area of our life that we need to surrender to God so that we can glorify him and please him and show our love for him and become the person he's called us to be. Maybe you're here today and you've experienced the pain of divorce. Maybe you caused the divorce, or maybe you were the innocent party to that divorce. And the pain was inflicted on you. No matter what you did, there's nothing that could change it. Whichever place you're in this morning, I want to encourage you to, to ask God for mercy and grace. And to make it right however possible, however the Holy Spirit might lead us to make something right, and, and if there's nothing to make right, then just say, God, give me the mercy and grace to make it this time, to live faithfully, and to live by faith in this re new relationship that God has blessed you with. While we're all praying about these things, I want to speak to those who've never put their faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe here today you've never become a new creation. You're still stuck in sin and still stuck in the mess that we all make of our lives apart from Jesus Christ. Every one of us do, does it, has done it, We'll keep doing it. But maybe you're stuck in that mess. Living outside of God's will, outside of his purpose, outside of the blessings that come with that, the peace and the joy, experiencing God's love, his mercy and grace. You can start life over right now. No matter what you've done, you can be given a, a do-over by giving your life to Jesus Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. If 
this very moment you can become that new creation by surrendering your life, surrendering the sin, surrendering your life to say, God, I, I don't want the sin anymore. I repent of it. I surrender my old life. I give you the mess I've made of this life. The pain, the shame that I've lived with, I, I ask you to take it. I put my faith in your son Jesus who died for me on that cross and I know he'll take that shame and pain and sin and put it on that cross taking it off of me and nailing it to the cross please forgive me I put my faith in Jesus I'm going to follow you God I give my life to you If you've prayed that prayer of faith, you've given your life to God, you've just become a brand new creation. And you have a brand new life ahead of you. And I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you have a friend or family member here or tell me on the way out or felt the card or text or call or email. Let somebody know. Let me know. So we could help you in your new life and encourage you in your new life and be excited for you. Father, I pray that no matter what we've brought in this morning, no matter what pain people have carried in from marriages and, and divorces and remarriages, Lord, I just pray for your mercy and grace. We know your word isn't meant to, to beat us up in a negative way, but to bring us to repentance and conviction and freedom and forgiveness. I pray for each marriage here that you would give us your mercy and grace to remain faithful in our marriages and recognize the blessings. And above all, Lord, I pray that everyone else would focus on that, the right question, not what can we get away with and still be okay with you. But Lord, how can we live to keep a close love relationship with you? I pray that would be the question we ask every time we're tempted or every time we're trying to make a decision, that it would be the, the focal point of our, our day each day this week. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.